0: Let's set the scene. It's the middle of 2021 and COVID is still a constant thought that dictates how we live our lives. Looking further outward into the distance, the world of business and entrepreneurship is in the middle of a shakeup. We're closing a chapter of company building and brand building that was defined by an abundance of cheap money. The goal in this concluding chapter? To build businesses of massive scale. Behind us are the tombstones of many tech and consumer brands who leveraged an abundance of capital to create big shiny facades with little foundation behind them. And once the money ran out, it all came crashing down. For Rich Liu of industrial design bag and accessories brand Dispatch, his way of building a business was the antithesis of what surrounded him in the Bay Area. Instead, he took a more calculated and undeniably slower approach to building a brand that celebrates over a decade in business. Their bags, accessories and experimental designs have captured the imagination and audiences around the world. For Rich and Dispatch, their story closely mirrors the making story. It's a sense of experimentation meets a desire to do things right, even if it takes a bit longer. <laughs>
1: My name is Richard Liu. I started and run a company called Dispatch. Uh, We make military inspired bags and accessories. Uh, Everything's mostly made here in the United States. Our headquarters is currently in South San Francisco. Take it back
0: to your life before Dispatch. What did that look like growing up? And how did that sort of evolve into what you do now? Because I've known Richard for a long time and I've always been very interested in his background because it, in many ways, it kind of crisscrosses right it's not this very clean trajectory which to that degree not everyone's trajectory is that clean
1: i would say one thing that i i value highly i don't know if it's something that people would take away much away with but you know i have a i had a love for art as as a child you know i painted a lot that's what i spent my summers doing was uh, in painting class or art camps things like that you know exploring sculpture or whatever they you know they let you try everything but you know when i got to high school you know i've got American-born Chinese, I have uh, you know, immigrant parents, and you know they they pretty much fall into almost all of the stereotypes you would expect from that. And they said, you know, you got to be practical. I remember this exact conversation. You know, I was like, oh, I want to be an architect because I thought art design, you know, it's a job I can go do. And you know, I remember my my dad saying, "There's no money there. You know, you're going to be struggling. You're going to be a poor artist, and you know, that's just a bad decision." And you know, as a 12 year old, you're like, okay, that's a bad decision. So basically in high school and, and in college, basically, I was just doing business. It was like, I gotta make a living, I have to make money. That's yeah. all I thought about. Yeah.
0: Curious, what are your thoughts on the way financial stability and financial positioning plays in one's ability to pursue creative passions? I think that what you mentioned is very much a a, a familiar story. Like if you are an immigrant, then they generally default into stability. But what happens when you have stability? Like, do you feel like, you know, now that you have a family, that their trajectory is going to be much more malleable, and they're going to have a lot more freedom to make choices?
1: They are going to have more freedom to make choices. I do think it's extremely important. I think people need to learn the value of earning their freedom, as in 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 the sense of financial freedom, of course. That um, you had to work hard. My first job was in the restaurant, so I learned how hard it is to make $100. So when I go spend it, I'm making a lot more conscious decisions. Whereas I feel like people that don't understand the value of how hard it is to work and earn $100, or maybe they've earned a lot more than that are suspending it loosely and not really considering how much work or how lucky they are to even have that amount of money, which is not common throughout the world. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple layers there. But in general, I think it's incredibly important. And even with my children, you know, they're not going to have free access. I'm not going to say, like, hey, I'm grooming you to take over for the business. I, that's something I'm planning on discussing with them at a much later stage. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, it'd probably be best for them to get a couple years in their career, get a couple years in a company outside of my own so that if they do come back, I'm assuming they'll have something to compare it against and then realize this is my choice. I want to be here rather than I'm grooming you, I'm grooming you, you know? Yeah. Fast forward, what was the formation of? dispatch
0: like like what was going on in your life at that time
1: yeah so it happened when I was working in, in corporate uh, tech I was at PayPal I had got out of college got a job at a startup you know it was great I got to travel a bunch and then after the startup life I was like hey I want to try corporate life again this is still coming back to immigrant parents and I kind of in the Chinese way they think the bigger company the better you know I think the best companies were all the biggest ones so yeah, it was inside of me, which was like, I want to prove myself. I want to I want to try to work in this kind of corporate environment. So I had an opportunity to go to PayPal and it was tough. I think I was in there a little young. Most of the people were five to eight years older than me. And so I was basically surrounded by red tape, bureaucracy, politics, all and, that stuff.
0: And you just weren't ready to play that game. Because I think in many ways, once you enter the corporate world, part of it is really about finessing and knowing how to play the game just as much as it is about delivering
1: and your expectations, right? I yeah. had high expectations still. I think a lot of people, when they go in, as far as like how much excitement you're going to get out of your day to day, you know, I was young, I was expecting a lot. I wanted to come in and take on projects that were going to like keep me excited. But I think as you're a little older, a lot far along in your career, you're like this is just what you do, <laughs> you know? I think that was actually a valuable experience. You know, people go back and they're like, "Well, what, what what would you do differently?" Right now, nothing because because of my inability to fit in or feel like I was fitting in is where I was like, "Hey, I need to go I need to go do something else. I need to keep my knife sharp. I need to go." And that's what led me to, you know, reaching out to other people on other small businesses trying to just moonlight. So I spent my nights and weekends, you know, learning photography, learning social media, Well, I mean, I was already doing social media for my job. So that part was like kind of a barter chip. You know, I could make websites and I could run social media. So that was my bartering chip for companies to let me kind of peek under the hood, see how the process is. And then that in itself was a fulfilling experience just to say, "Ooh, this is how people are doing it rather than my nine to five of spreadsheets and you know, A-B testing results and, you know, all that kind of stuff. What
0: was that initial catalyst that pushed you? Hey, I'm going to go and start a strap company.
1: Yeah. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't under that guise. It wasn't, I want to start a strap company. I was I was trying at the time to, to start some little side businesses. I never thought, I was never like, hey, I'm going to go and be my own boss. I think that's one misconception people have. They assume if you're an entrepreneur, You always want to be your own boss, and that wasn't the case for me. I was fine working for other people, helping other people build a vision. So this was the one, you know. And so I had, I had tried a few other things, websites, t-shirt ideas, things like that. Nothing really got any feet underneath them. And dispatch was, you know, out of a need. I needed a camera strap. I bought this new little camera, and the strap was, you know, sixteen inches in length, and you know, I'm I'm six foot one, so this thing just wasn't gonna work. So the length was a kind of a practical thing for me, but then at the same time, it was like, yeah, like why don't I make it a nice military olive color? Why don't I find some better materials and 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 add all these buckles so it looks kind of crazy? The first design was based on a gun sling, and you know I was buying parts, and so I made the first one just as for myself. But all these other small business owners that I had been helping out on the side were like, hey, this is a cool product. You should try it out. So. I remember the first time after I made my one for myself, I went back and made 10 more. And this was all done um, at a local luggage repair store since you know they had the type of sewing machine that can go through uh, military webbing. And yeah, it just kind of went from there. Uh, it got picked up by a blog. And um, that was back, back at that time, people were buying off of blog recommendations. Like that was the main way to find new product. And uh, yeah, it just went from there.
0: Was the beginning of dispatch easier than you thought it'd be in terms of just the the way that everything was timed out and everything just sort of fell into place?
1: I would say it's some aspects of it could happen today. I think the exact way in w- in which it did happen probably couldn't happen today. talking about the state of the internet back then, you know people weren't really applying it to tangible goods yet you know they were they were trying to find you know online mortgage applications I remember being a big thing and And credit score and things like that. So it was basically this like all digital um, landscape. So now that's not true anymore. Now people are product is being, you know, is just as prevalent as digital um, stuff uh, through traditional media outlets and and social media and all the ways that people are interacting with the internet right now.
0: Now would be a good segue for you to discuss the philosophy behind Dispatch. And has that philosophy changed as you've developed the brand? Versus what the initial catalyst was
1: yeah, it's it's changed a lot. There was no philosophy. like I said, you know, um it was it was not this master plan and nothing that there's any, not that there's anything wrong with master plans and and big presentations and things like that, but I had made a single product and it was selling, and it continued to sold on its own organically. you know, I was doing no advertising, no marketing, just you know people still looking up links using the search function on blogs. And then just word of mouth, I'm assuming, you know, if you're wearing one of our straps and you go out on the weekend, you're shooting, people are seeing it. They're asking you, you know, just traditional word of mouth stuff. Um, So I never really had a a whole brand philosophy. I kind of set up some guidelines, but that affects a lot of what where we are today that we've remained kind of neutral, um, that we've remained kind of just as a design and fabrication shop because it was never a lifestyle thing It was always utility first. It's kind of still continued today. I mean, now we obviously we have some pillars uh, for the brand, and you know, it's we're we're coming up on nine years of being in business, so um, there are things changing. But you know, I've never really spent much time—never more than you know, a couple of hours—trying to synthesize the brand into a couple nice, neat sentences. Um, for me, it's always been a utility company, so it's like the proof is in the pudding. You know, pick up a bag, pick up a strap, and you'll get way more than fancy words on a slide deck.
0: In terms of dispatch as a brand and your own identity, how interconnected or disconnected are those two? Because I think that's the one thing that's always fascinating about brand building is that ultimately you're trying to create something that lives far beyond you.
1: The two are still very connected and this wasn't something without purpose. I think for a while it was like dispatches this line. And I think that you know, there was a good period of the company where I was overthinking it, where it was like I was trying to create this this brand, this lifestyle thing, um, this presentation that I could sell to big chain retailers. And what I realized is it just needs to be a product that I love. You know, that's that's how it started and I don't ever want to lose that. Do I want them to be completely separate one day? Yes, I do. I, I do want dispatch as an idea, if it's a truly worthy idea to be able to act and grow autonomously from my own personality. But and my own personality and preference. But right now, certain phases of the company, especially when we're trying to, let's say, go a new direction or establish a new line of business, like I need to be very hands-on and and we are kind of coming out of a period where we are trying to redefine, strip down what doesn't need to be there and double down on what is really important parts of the business.
0: Mm -hmm. So over the course of your time with Dispatch, obviously you're, you know, the founder operator. How do you go about solving the challenges that arise? Do you have a framework or a way of thinking?
1: I would say it's largely habitual. It's, it's kind of, the tried and true method. It's been refined throughout the years. I try to put a floor and a ceiling on it. So, you know, a ceiling being not overthinking the problem, not getting too far away of trying to solve everything. A floor being where I'm remaining practical and that the, the problem is actually being solved and uh, I'm not over-investing resources or time to try to solve it. So, but that's all tweaking. That's all stuff that, that's all experience it comes through, you know, hitting, dealing with a hundred different things. And then now all of a sudden, after the experience, you have a more refined way of, of addressing issues that yeah. come about.
0: And in many ways, experience is a byproduct of time, but are there ways people can accelerate experience?
1: There are, I wouldn't, I don't know if there's any ways I'd recommend. I'm a big proponent of time. I, I both from a branding perspective and as an operator perspective because you see things level out on their own. You know, you, you think a big tidal wave is coming and ends up just being a, a regular-sized wave and there's nothing behind it. Or, you know, the inverse is true where you think nothing's humming and then actually, oh, no, things are actually changing. So for me, I really think, yeah, there's exper- experiences come with uh, in- encounters, right? Like things have to happen. Doing the same thing over and over again, turning the same wheel, you're not getting new experience. So um, you can go out and create those. And certain businesses, I think those are good. You know, like a media company. I think you are, you know, that's one of the challenges is you are networking, you're meeting new people, finding new stories. So your your experience is kind of organically accelerating because of that activity. For me, running a business, like I'm a believer in stable, rational decisions. I mean, yes, there's risk taking every now and then, but um, I, I personally have not found that much success in going out and trying to find stuff. Usually what I find is trouble.
0: When you go about designing a product, how do you look at the overall problem to solve? And how do you balance people that want a super innovative tech-driven bag versus those that don't want to be overwhelmed by functionality?
1: I mean, for me, this goes a little bit back to my own personal perspective. I try to make a product that I myself am excited to use or excited to give someone else to use. It may not be something I do every single day, So, for example, we make a product that's kind of a hybrid gym and work uh, duffel. And the whole point was hey, you know, you need to go to the gym during lunch. It's you're not going home. And so we have an area for all your gym gear. And then we also have an area for all your work things. And that was something I was doing for a period of time. I'd work out during lunch. That was, you know, that's what fit my schedule. I don't do that anymore just because, um, you know, my commute's a little different. That was when I was working at nine to five. So, you know, when I think of a solution like that, I, I am trying to put myself in the mindset or recall or, or an experience I had. It, so it may not be something I'm living today, but it's still kind of within the confines of what I want to design, what I want to make. Um, one component we do have in our design process, however, is if we want to make it in the US or which is most of our, which is all of our bags, we do have to be very restrained as far as how we design the bag being that, you know, Things made in the US are a lot more expensive. The hourly wage is super expensive compared globally, which you can argue is good or bad thing. As far as manufacturing goes, it it limits you a little bit. So we have to be very careful. We need pockets to have multiple purposes. We have to make sure that it's very necessary and we make sure there's no kind of superfluous sewing that adds to the costs that ends up making it more expensive for the end consumer. So, we do want it to make sense within the product line so that it fits within all of our existing other products. Um, we love it if it interacts with our existing products, so we have some modularity that we build in now with our add-ons and such. So you know, when you have that many constraints, um it does kind of lend itself to creating a path, so at times we feel a little like, okay, this is." this is a straight this is our solutions you know this is what someone expects for us to make that does happen but you know we we have to find our own personal ways of of getting outside of that
0: as i've seen and witnessed firsthand there's a lot of benefits to you having the ability to iterate quickly to make changes and to have everything essentially within an arm's reach away
1: yeah I mean, this is a topic that people you know oftentimes ask about which is why I made in USA or you know like why still made in the USA of course there is a patriotic component to it we like supporting you know our our it's a mom and pop business so we want to work with other mom and pops that's just a a peer thing a personal preference but in the early days especially it was a very functional thing so first off if you want to make things overseas you really need to go people i would say from my just anecdotal evidence, people that just try to send something off and hope it comes back finished and perfect and everything, it's, it's just not going to work. You have to go there. And I, I couldn't do that as with a 9 to 5, right? I couldn't go spend a weekend or two in China trying to do it. But I could go to Spokane or Seattle or LA or all the other places where we were kind of sourcing our fabrication. So it started out as a very kind of small decision, like this is all we could do. And then now it's blossomed to this thing where like, okay, well, we are gonna continue and reinvest. As far as the in-house stuff goes, that's kind of a new development for us. You know, we we work with contract manufacturers. So a lot of the people that make, you know, military gear, you know, when they don't in between their large military orders, they have some free time. That was where we were kind of buying up that production space to to make our product. But yeah, making things in the US has a lot of advantages. Um, and now, particularly in a sewing in-house, you know, A, we can make smaller quantities. So it doesn't have to be this, oh, every year we release a bag or so. You know, we can, we can speed things up a little bit. Um, we can kind of make tweaks as we go along, you know, I mean... Anyone in soft goods design will tell you it takes a couple rounds. You know, the first one's not going to be perfect, or you're going to realize something that you never could have foreseen during the design process that in practicality or in interaction with fabrics or in certain situations that now you want to address. So, we always wanted this kind of model where we could continue to tweak, continue to improve, and, um, and help refine our product line. In terms of your guys' ability to work with other brands, collaboration, and
0: partnerships, how do you view that process? And obviously, you've seen enough of the world of streetwear from its, I guess in some ways, the way it established itself in the mainstream or the beginnings of it, right? You know, a decade ago, a decade ago, how do you see it now in terms of what it represents and what it means? And how are you able to apply that experience or the ability to see everything and create something you feel is actually memorable or unique?
1: Well, I mean, collaboration, I think, and this is a common answer you'll hear is it's the mixing of two different worlds, right? And people, you know, it gets a bad rap because in the street world, you're talking about two like-minded ingredients trying to say it's a new dish. And people are like, no, it's it's the same stuff. So I mean that's fine. I, I I personally I would say as far as the process of collaboration goes, I love when it's organic. In fact, that's kind of my standard now is that it needs to be born of something that's interesting for both sides. I love when it it's born from a relationship where it's someone that I get along with and and we like we have a similar approach. I mean I think we can create a lot of interesting product by mixing with other businesses, lifestyle brands, things like that. But we we really just want it to come at the at the right time so even you know if, like for you and i for example you know we've known each other for a long time and you know you have your business now and we've had our business for a little while it, but it wasn't the first phone call you know from either side it was when the timing was right when it felt like you know and and it's because we've created a you know we're going to create a better product because the timing was aligned and in a better way so you know that's the kind of philosophy or, or success i've seen we've we have had some projects in the past where it was like hey we want to put your our our brand on your product, and and we'll still do those as needed. You know, that's it's almost like a you know a manufacturing job that we do for someone. But if if you want to talk about like real collaboration, you know, I want to take two worlds, but with like minded approaches or skills or or principles, and then seeing what the result comes out from. Mm-hmm. That. I think that's the best result. And on the flip side, for us, I would say that despite
0: the fact you look at product multiple times a day, there is something different when you're actually in the driver's seat and you're trying to theorize what is something I want to do but also you want to have some sort of commercial element to make it successful and I think you mentioned this like everyone thinks they can design a product but the reality is that it's actually much harder when you have a goal beyond yourself right and maybe you can talk a little bit about what it's like to design knowing that the end user is somebody that You don't exactly know. You have a general sort of umbrella range of what they are interested in or or what needs they they require, but what's it like when you actually need to design something for that?
1: I think there's an interesting kind of idea and conflict in that question, which is, do you design to your perspective or do you design to the end user's needs? And the answer, of course, is both, right? You have to do a little bit of each. I mean personally I don't think you I mean I don't I don't think making a product strictly from customer feedback is is a good long-term strategy just because you lose all perspective then then you're just kind of building to to what people want and you know there's a lot of resources I'll tell you that's that's not the right way to create original product to make innovative product is that
0: perspective sort of informed by what you've experienced with consumer behavior in that, what they think they know, or when, when you have too many cooks in the kitchen, the end result actually is something for nobody.
1: Yeah, totally. That, that's definitely from experience. You know, we get emails, we get people complaining about it and praising us for the exact same design decision. So, you know, I don't get mad when people come in and say, why don't you make it like this? Because they're not aware there's another person coming in, which is like, this is exactly how I want it. This is what I love, you know, about your bag. So for us, you know, but at the same time, we can't become callous to that. I think we always want to take customer feedback, especially people that are, you know, that have been with us throughout the years. You know, there's a couple, there's a couple ways in to really get feedback to me where it lands in a very kind of um, truthful way. Um, But yeah, in general... I try to lean heavier on the perspective. This is what I think is right. And as long as our company is moving in the direction that it needs to be, I think I have earned the right to make that decision the way I want it to be. Now, it's a business. You have bills to pay. You have to have sales. You have to have money flowing in our world, especially. So if I start making bad decisions and the, and the money stops flowing in the right way, I need to listen to that as an operator of a business. I need to listen to that and really address what it is. So it's a little bit of both. It's not too much of either. And it's, it's a fine tuning that you will develop over time and experience and of your customer base, because it's different for each audience. Yeah.
0: How would you describe freedom in your shoes in terms of the ability to make the decisions you want to make versus, but also keeping in mind that as you grow and as, as you establish a brand, sometimes it might be more difficult to take liberties because there's An established trust with consumers and customers.
1: Yeah. So my approach to freedom is exactly, I think, in a very simplistic view, the ability to design and create as I see fit. Mentioning, bringing it back up, the the R&D line that we launched. It was almost actually like I'd created my own prison because we had all of these components and expectations from our existing military-inspired line that in some ways limited what I could do. I felt personally, I thought it'd be weird for me to put out a bag that doesn't have, you know, thick military style zippers and, and ballistic fabrics and things like that. So, you know, this whole R&D line was for me, giving me more freedom to be able to just say, Hey, I want this weird little keychain thing, or I want to braid up this little, you know, tether for, for my camera. And so that's how I define freedom. It's like any impulse, any thought I have, I can go and make it without consequence or without actually really risking our core business, even from a perception point of view. It took me a long time to break away from you know these kind of superstar success stories and feeling like may, you know maybe we're not big enough or maybe I made mistakes along the way. I- I've kind of put that all to bed now. You know my my ultimate. I've I've kind of dialed it down to what I really care about, which is I want to make a product that I I think is important. And I want to put it in the market for people that also share my perspective and vision on things. As long as I can do that in a responsible manner without digging a hole for myself, then that is a good enough reason for us to keep going on.
0: At its worst, what does it feel like when you're in that hamster wheel and you're always measuring yourself up to someone else?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's... It's tough. It's it's a vice. You know, it's putting every insecurity, even as personal insecurities, right? It's your own, it's tied to your own self-worth almost. When you feel like, oh, so many people are doing it better than me, or and you know, am I worthy or or whatever. And those kind of thoughts, and they go crazy. You know, you at the end of the day, when you try to sleep, they're 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 permeating every thought. And that's why with other when i meet other business owners it's like a lot of times you can see really quickly that you've gone through the same battles that you've had this journey that you had to go through to to get where you are at the end of the day so as far as getting out of it i think it's just reassurance you know we've had some customers write us letters in the past i have them all i save them all so anyone listening to this that you know wrote me a letter or returned a bag with a letter of what they didn't like you know i save them all and um you know, even the ones that are critical, I think it it reassures me that someone actually even cared enough to write me a letter or write me a long note. And that's the stuff that keeps me going that I feel like people care what we're doing. Because a lot of times it does feel like an echo chamber. I'm I'm out, I'm sitting by my desk, I'm firing off this kind of weird thing, that kind of weird thing. Yeah, it's, some sells well, some sells okay, some doesn't sell well. And, you know, well, why continue? But, you know, people feeling like, they're really connecting with the product. You know, we built a custom bag, someone with a physical disability the other week. That to me is worth the same as a record-breaking month in sales. You know, having the capability to do that where they had no other bag company to turn to. And we were like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll customize a strap for you. We'll add a little mount here. And then now you can tighten it and loosen it however you want. To me, that's that's the best outcome that can come from retaining this much freedom over you know, product decisions with the company.
0: Over the course of knowing you, one thing I've recognized is your desire to help other people. And that's something that I've seen across, whether it's just in your everyday or it's in the context of business. Why is that important to you?
1: I mean, it's important for me on a personal level, um, but it's also in a practical side of, you know, part of me thinks that one of the main reasons of of a company even existing is having a larger platform to aid in a way that an individual cannot and you know i didn't come up with that thought that's you know pretty you know one of the people that i admire eve uh, chenard and all the stuff he's written like i it, it all resonates with me and it, it motivates me to go continue pushing Because, you know, I may not believe in the same causes as him or I may not be as passionate. You know, I don't have a background mountaineering. But, you know, whatever I care about, uh, you know, living in San Francisco and seeing the need around me here is something that I've now taken his inspiration on and I can act on myself. So it's a personal passion of mine. Uh, I think it's an important part of why a business exists. And so it's nothing too forced. It's something and I don't. I don't necessarily seek it out as much. And in fact, it's something I like. I do enjoy discussing. You know, I, I did for a while have open-door policy. People email me. Yes, let's meet. Let's have coffee. I've had to kind of like slow that down over the years just because I do want to meet and talk with people. But at the same time, there needs to be some discretion there as far as like what you've done to get to a point where you and I are sitting face-to-face. So they need to, they need
0: to overcome some sort of friction. To ensure that you know they've they've kind of put their own skin in the game in a way.
1: Yeah, totally, and, and not not for not for a you know you need to earn your, the right to talk to me. Nothing like that at all. It's more so the context or the landscape needs to be right so that what I'm trying to say to you actually gets received in the correct manner. You know, if you're young and you're hot and you want to become a multi millionaire, like coffee with me is not going to help that much <laughs> because although I've been in those shoes in my life. I don't really have any lessons I've learned that can help that person. Now, someone that's done a successful startup probably have a lot of great things to say because you know if they were young and did a startup and made a ton off, you know, they'll have a lot to tell this person. But I didn't have that story. So I have nothing authentic or personal to share with them. Um, so if for me, it's like, if I want to invest the time, I also want that to be reciprocated. I want to meet someone in the middle. You know, I don't want to go all the way to them. I don't want them come on all the way to me. I want to meet them in the middle. So that discretion, that discretionary approach is kind of like the way to self-select that uh, meeting that should or would take place.
0: You know, over the course of this conversation, there seems to be a very high level of self-awareness and understanding what you are and what you aren't. How do you think that you arrived at that position?
1: yeah I do a lot of thinking in my, inside my own head. I try to take myself out of the environment we, we spoke a little bit about kind of like your day to day and uh, being an operator you know i I try to segment my days so there are times where I'm in email land or I'm meeting with the team design team to talk about feedback and what we want to do with next steps and I also have my own personal time where I try to sit and and gather my thoughts and really make a decision a concerted decision about what my stance is on something so I mean my personality has made a company that is reflective of that I don't know I wouldn't be a good club promoter because I just don't I don't frequent that venue but someone who does would be great at that job so you know what dispatches is, is a reflection of my personality is a reflection of let's say whatever that self-awareness is that I have um so it's not something easily replicated but if someone out there feels like hey this guy's answering questions like I would answer so it feels like there's some similarities there like yeah take time write down your thoughts try to take the appropriate amount of you know whatever environmental cues to say okay I need to really sit and think about this and you know one thing that we did I did recently personally was you know I went to spent a little time doing a little soul searching on behalf of the business and really deciding what's important and and what I want to be our focus going forward. So that took that took almost a year. You know, that took and it wasn't just one moment, It wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna go to the park and sit on a bench. <laughs> it was like, you know, I'm gonna be, you know, it happened a little bit when I was staring at the beach with my kids. It happened a little bit when I was on a bike ride by myself, it happened a little bit when I was driving to the city to meet with somebody else. So you know, But you do have to spend some time thinking about like, hey, I got I to gotta spend some effort on this and then try to come to an end result. What does success look like for you at Dispatch? So I think it's a very simple answer. I think it's that we get to keep doing what we're doing. Um, there is no long term next phase exit strategy. For me, it's really just being able to communicate, create product that continues to exist. And, and that's a self-imposed metric as well. You know, we don't want to keep making stuff that no one cares about or no one finds any usefulness of. And it's a, it's a waste of time and resources. We want to continue to make product that is helping people with their everyday travel, uh, everyday commuting, travel, everything that re- regards to their, their items and goods. So um, as long as we get to continue doing that, I feel like we're living in the success yeah, and and big a big part of that also is is our employees. You know, if you think about when I think about our customer base or, or the people that we touch, you know, the people that are closest to it are the ones that that are part of the dispatch team. And you know, one thing that I'm proud of throughout the years, you know, aside from you know getting written up or or, or seeing some celebrity like it is. We've never had to let anyone go due to financial constraints. You know, we've had to tighten our belt at times or, or maybe not take our own salary, but you know, we've never had to get a point where, hey, like we can't afford you anymore. We have to you know, we have to move on. So I want to continue doing that. You know, we don't have a big team, but I want everyone there to feel like they are invested in the company, they have a path for themselves to personally develop, and that they're also creating product or helping create product that is really being appreciated and and it's important that it exists. So um, that's kind of like a side goal, but still very important to and core to what we do.
0: in In terms of building dispatch and you know embarking on this journey, what did you think it'd be like to have your own bag company and strap company? And what has been the reality of it?
1: I wouldn't say my experience has been that different from a lot of the stories you'll hear out there. As far as owning a company, it's a roller coaster. There are high highs and low lows. In that regard, just general running a business that I didn't really foresee was how important restraint is. You know, you think when you enter a business, you're like, I got to make moves, I have to go out there and, and make the success happen. But in my world, at least from my experience has been restraint as well, and not finding myself creating problems for myself by trying to do too much. So that's been kind of you know, writing out certain phases of the company and, and kind of appreciating the highs and the lows for what they're worth, I think has been something that I didn't foresee that has been really pivotal, I think, in our longevity. Having the freedom to create, I mean, that has been my ultimate thing. And it took me a long time to break away from, you know, these kind of superstar success stories and feeling like, you know, maybe we're not big enough or maybe I made mistakes along the way. I've kind of put that all to bed now, dialed it down to what I really care about, which is I want to make a product that I, I think is important and I want to put it in the market for people that also share my perspective and vision on things. As long as I can do that in a responsible manner without digging a hole for myself, that is a good enough reason for us to keep going on.